0: From WE First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with WE. I'm Simon Mannering, and today we're doing things a little bit differently. You see, my new book, Lead with WE, is available now in bookstores and online. And so I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Greg Molnar, co-founder and CEO of Goal 17 Media, and a long-time investor in purposeful companies. And he's actually going to be interviewing me about what it really means to lead with we. So Greg, I guess I um, hand it over to you. Oh, Simon, I've been waiting for this for a year and a half, bucko. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: we're here to talk about the book, but we're not really as much here to talk about the book as we're gonna talk about you. I wanna go back into your background because the evolution of your background is what came to the first book, We First in 2011, and now this book, Lead with We. I saw it as sort of three segments. I mean, the first segment is sort of an introduction to lead with we and and quotes and research from people that, are, that have sort of walked this, life, this trail with you. The second one goes to a lot of case studies and, and case studies really are where people learn. You know, I understand what worked and what didn't work. But there's the third component It's sort of a, a roadmap. I mean, I've already pulled out pages and sat down with my wife and asked these questions. It's, it's a series of, okay, if, if we really wanna do this sincerely, One of the questions we ask ourselves, how do we go about this approach? And so I I commend you because um, a lot of these books are well-intended, but at the end of the day, the question is, okay, how do I do it?
0: Yeah, I was very intentional about the structure of the book um, because I'm not someone who ever wanted to be a writer and I, I never thought about writing books. I just happened to write a lot. To get things done, you know, and then people say you're a writer and you're like, well, I guess so. But, you know, writing is a bittersweet thing, you know, it it takes a lot out of everyone who puts a book together. Um, But I was very intentional about having the higher order narrative around how business needs to change. And that is a loftier conversation and one that is being had all around the world through institutions and organizations and heads of state and so on. But then to drop down to these very tangible, actionable, you know um, discrete areas that build on each other through the book and so it's a difficult thing to do because you've got to kind of throttle on both cylinders all the time. But the last thing we need is a lot of another book talking about good intentions or a great idea without giving a roadmap and how to do it and also we've been lucky enough at we first for the last 10 years to really uh, do this day in day out with big small famous unknown companies and. So the way we think, and the way I think, and everything in the book is a function of all the team's work. You know, at We First, um, everything is about okay, how we get it done. Are we doing it for real? How are we measuring our success? Are we moving the needle forward, both for our business but also for the impact that we need to create? So, you know, that's why the book is the way it is, and and you know, hopefully, we've captured a lot of the thinking that we've been sharing with clients over the years and made it available in a way that people can follow.
1: Well, you did. And the other thing is, there's an extraordinary amount of research into the book. I mean, there's there's quote after quote and study after study. Um, but imagine you had to get a lot of approvals because some cases you're doing case studies that weren't successful, and you're talking about companies. How, how does that approach happen? How do you reach out and get these kind of approvals for yeah, these I, things?
0: I mean, with any um, when you have an opinion, you know, you're going to have a point of view that is going to sort of point to certain practices and also seek to upgrade certain practices. And the way that works in the book world is you. You know, you reach out to folks and say, okay, listen, this is, this is we're talking about you in the book. We want to share that with you and want to make sure that it's accurate and that, you know, we've got permission to um, explain things in those terms. So, you know, there's, there's a process to that. But I mean, I think the reality is this we can't nice each other to death anymore. <laughs> we can't tiptoe around each other anymore. We can, we can also stop pointing fingers and blaming. I really made a conscious right. effort in the book not to shame and blame, because firstly, we've got to put all our energy into fixing things. And secondly, there's a lot of people doing that. And you know, with good reason, but like, knock yourselves out. Right. But I, I, I'm much more interested in the solution than I am in sort of like attributing blame. And so um, the book is positive And it really sort of lays out the emerging embrace of a new way of looking at business to reengineer and reimagine how business can show up, One that works with nature rather than against it. And one that kind of really serves the collective and all stakeholders working together to improve conditions for everyone. So everyone can benefit rather than, you know, to oversimplify what's been happening for a long time, which is, you know, the vast majority of the wealth that capitalism generates gets sort of filtered into more, smaller and smaller number of hands. And that is not only unconscionable in the sense that so many are suffering when others are doing so well. But also, it's unsustainable from a sort of economic model point of view, and we're seeing things break break down. So it just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Well, yes, and and purpose led or uh, we first capitalism, these different terms we'll get into is really about looking forward, and blaming is looking backwards. And we've got enough of that in our society right now, which is another reason why business has to sort of lead this this revolution. But I want to get to that in a minute.
0: But first off, I want to jump back and talk about you for a second. Okay. So, born in Australia. So, I grew up in Sydney, yep. Um, You know, grew up in the water. Uh, My happy place is in the ocean. Um, I did a fine arts degree, and, you know, I was deeply, deeply passionate about art all the way through school and then, you know, through university. And um, then I did a law degree... And then i came out and i'm like well what am i going to do with all of this exactly you know, I've got, i can't make money being i actually left law school and went to art school and i thought i was gonna be a full-time artist and then i realized <laughs> oh, oh no now there's a high-paying career yeah no it's actually really funny it was just so naive and wide-eyed but i really did think i would try and be an artist and i would literally left law school and enrolled in art school much to my parents dismay and then realized i couldn't you know eat pay the bills do whatever and it, ha- it so happened that someone came up to me and said, "Hey, you know, <laughs> you've always had an inappropriate sense of humor. You should be a copywriter." And having done law, I thought they meant you know trademark, intellectual property, copyright, and they meant copywriter and advertising, and I'd never thought about it. And you know that started my journey in the advertising world.
1: Somewhere along the line, I mean, here you're you're in an ad agency, which is all about you know hard advertising, promoting products you're working on a global basis, you're working with a diverse group of companies, some probably a little bit more purpose-led, some less. At what time did you start having these thoughts about, this isn't really what I want, or this, I mean, and I mean did you just wake up one morning and say, I don't wanna do this anymore? Or you must have started just creeping into your mind. How, how did this happen?
0: You know, as serendipity, luck, whatever would have it, the universe, um, I happened to read the speech that Bill Gates gave at the World Economic Forum that year and then, later, on the floor of the general Assembly, and I just read it online because I'd heard about it. It was on NPR and things like that, and he said, "The private sector needs to play a bigger role in social change because government and philanthropy can 't fix the world on its own, and this is all when two thousand and seven two thousand and eight the global economic meltdown was happening. It was just right in the middle of all of that, and it was weird I remember it you know, I remember it so clearly because I, it was called his creative capitalism speech, and i um I was kind of struck by the fact it was called creative, because it was like a creative brief, he was basically saying, how can we do business differently? How do we need to think about it differently? And the the sort of breadth of that ambition didn't scare me, because um, I'd worked on the Olympics and World Cup projects, I'd launched, you know, big things like the Razor and worked on accounts like Motorola and and had sizable responsibility. So it was more like, it was a bit of an aha moment. It's like, wow, I've had this visceral experience, especially on Nike, where you can do work and shape culture, create movements, do right. things differently on mass, when you come out with the right communication, I was just like, what could we do if we took the power of that storytelling, and it applied it to all of these problems. And the only reason I cared, there's no brilliance, there's no intelligence here, it's a, it's a dir insight, which is I just felt what happened in 2007, 2008, was unfair. Maybe it's an Australian point of view, where you sit there and just go, come on, mate, like do right by each other, like we're, we're all equal, maybe that was where it came from. But the way I saw the knock on effect to people's hopes and hearts, you know, hopes and homes and healthcare and all around the world, Greece, Iceland, the Gulf states all around the world. I was like, this isn't right. You can't have a few folks oh. in the, the banking world, cause the rest of it all to topple down. And so that's where it all started. I was just like, wow, maybe there's an opportunity to selfishly find more meaning in what I'm doing by applying some of the things that I've seen from the movement building lens through my professional experience to this issue that seems so front and center and so obvious to me, which is we've got to kind of tell a new story for business, and we've got to show up in different ways. And this is at the time when Facebook had just started, Arab Spring was happening, Twitter was barely beginning. And we had these new tools where we could facilitate new dialogues between brands and consumers and institutions and citizens, maybe this was a new beginning. And so all of that led me to sort of naively again, God, you've got to thank thank God for naivete or whatever. I was like, I'm gonna, I knew I, I walked out of my living room through these doors we had. And I walked out. And I had this, I heard my voice in my head go, I'm going to write a book. And I went, pardon the friends, I'm going to write three books." And as soon as that happens in my head, I knew it was a done deal. And I spent the next three years writing We First. And I was such a dork. I went and bought eight books on how to write a book proposal. And it was just so, <laughs> was so stupid. So we've we've and, all done that. Yeah. And then the, you know, the book came out and did well. That launched the company, We First, which has been here for 10 years now, helping companies be more purposeful and, and really walk their talk authentically. So that's where it all started. Where did you come up with the term we first? I mean, would that just come to you one day or was it? Yeah, I mean, you know, my job as an advertising guy who's done a million taglines and campaigns is to distill things down to their essence in a way that you can add water and expand it later on. And I was constantly challenging myself. What the hell is the root of the problem with the way we're doing business right now? You know, and we all, there was a lot of criticism at the time about the investment banking world and that sort of thing and a lot of people talking about their motives or selfishness and so on. But really, at the end of the day, to me, it was like, yeah, this, this whole me first mentality that you know, greed is good, Gordon Gecko, profit for profit's sake and all of that. And what I do know from my advertising world is that you wanna create some inherent tension and, and you wanna capture people's attention. So to capture their attention, you give them something familiar, but in an unfamiliar way. So not me first, but we first. And to get that inherent tension that, captures their sort of interest. We first, isn't that a contradiction in terms? Isn't it about the individual that should be first? How can the collective? And so the book was originally called We First Capitalism. And then just in the last few weeks in discussions with the publisher and so on deadlines, we sort of dropped the capitalism because it was a larger idea that goes beyond. Absolutely. And but it had, you know, we first leadership, we first culture, we first product innovation, it just had a lot of legs, like any great ad campaign. And so I wanted to propagate the idea. um, And I really wanted to from a brand point of view, lean into this idea of we to really commit my company and my career and my future, to helping people understand what a powerful proposition it is, not just in theory, but in practice in business, what can it look like? So that's how it came about.
1: So let's talk about Lead With We. What are the sort of three or four core principles that Lead With We wants to use to inspire social entrepreneurs and and, and, existing CEOs and CMOs?
0: Well, I'll draw a distinction between We First and Lead With We First. You know, We First was about leveraging social technologies to help us drive those dialogues, which will take us from a me first mentality to one where we prioritize the collective. But it really was about using these tools and this this new social fabric we're weaving through social technology right. to drive positive change. In the 10 years since the book came out, a lot of that has happened. You've seen a lot of great nonprofits, foundations, individuals do amazing work through social channels. But also a lot of the platforms have basically become advertising platforms, right. and there's been privacy creep and all the different issues that we hear about in the press every day. And meanwhile, things got worse like climate loss of biodiversity ocean acidification pollution in the oceans social inequity all of these problems that i hope the original book could help solve for by using social technologies to build on business as usual right it didn't get far enough fast enough and things got worse so the new book lead with we is very different it's about a wholesale reimagining and re-engineering a business so that we can look at it through the lens of collaborative leadership leading together so we live and work in ways that restore and protect the natural and social systems on which all of our futures depend. So
1: what are the steps? I'm listening to this, and I'm either a young aspiring entrepreneur or I run a pretty good sized company, and I completely believe that I have to be part of the solution. What do I do? How do what are the first steps I take to move my
0: company in a way and and get buy-in. I'm going to talk on two levels, one to the company, one to the individual. A fundamental premise of Lead with We is that all of us need to lead. Every one of us is on the hook. We can't just be the beneficiaries of stakeholder capitalism. We've got to share the responsibilities as well. So none of this is going to work if you don't drive an alternative energy vehicle, if you don't choose plant-based alternatives, if you don't take actions you know, if you don't work for companies doing good rather than companies doing bad, if you don't invest in companies that are doing good rather than letting your pen- pension fund enable companies that are doing bad, you've got to put your time and dollars and individual agency to work. Why? Because we've got to do it together. Why? Because no one else is going to fix it for you and we're out of time. On that premise, as someone, as a CEO or founder of a company, you've got to tap into what is fundamental concept in the book, which is this virtuous spiral of collectivized purpose. Exactly. And let me speak to that one of the challenges for me is why is what we're doing up till now not working and even in the do good world one of the reasons i believe it's not working is we've talked in terms of this virtuous cycle where you do well by doing good but consciously or not that puts these limits on how much impact you have it kind of confines it to your sphere of influence your supply chain your employees your customers your give back you're one for one, whatever it might be. But what we're missing is the connective tissue between all the layers of business. And so as opposed to the virtuous cycle, what I lay out in the book is called the virtuous spiral of collectivized purpose in action. And there's several levels. Imagine in your mind, like an arrow going upwards. And at the bottom, the narrow end is the word me. And at the top is the word we. So we're going from me to we. And there's a spiral wrapping around going up. The first level is assuming the responsibility to lead. And that's what I just touched on. The second then is as a CEO founder, someone in charge of a company or someone inside a company, you've got to define your purpose. You've got to integrate that authentically in your company, and you need to address the issues that are exposed through a honest audit of how you're showing up right now. So you need to move from doing less bad to more good. You need to stop being part of the problem you need to be part of the solution and yes that does involve time and capital costs but it puts you on the right side of history and it allows you to be a partner that others want to work with so you capture those market forces that will drive your growth but do an honest audit and address those issues in your supply chain how you're treating your people what products you're making and how you're taking them to market you then go to the company culture level and on the culture level there are three fundamental things you need to do, you need to address sustainability and ESG, like you need to look at, you know, what harm you are doing, and how you can become more net positive, how circular, you know, in your economy, you can be. Secondly, you need to look at diversity and inclusion, don't just be diverse, be genuinely inclusive, it adds value to your business, and it's the right thing to do. And then thirdly, you need to pay a fair and living wage, to people, we see that in the restaurant industry here in the United States, finally, you know, 15 to 20 dollars and so on—a big change is happening. Those are the table stakes at the culture level inside your company, and then you need to address a social issue relevant and authentic to your brand, whatever that might be: women's empowerment, childhood mortality, access to education—something that's relevant to your brand. Then, going up to the next level, you need to look at the community level, which is. I don't think of as marketing as marketing. I think of it as movement making, as community architecture, and you need to co-create impact with those stakeholders. You see this with the Ben and Jerry's of the world, you know, you see this with Unilever brands where they reach out and say, this is what we're committed to. And whether it's, you know, a percentage of a sale of a product will go to a cause or whether it's showing up and volunteering or whether it's advocating for change and lobbying for change. You know, you've got to co-create impact with your stakeholder community, your customers, your partners out there. And then above that, you have the societal level. And again, we're working our way up the spiral here, the societal level, where brands need to drive cultural conversations that shape culture. What do I mean? Airbnb, all the things it does around universal belonging, giving free accommodation to Syrian refugees, or, you know, firefighters during fires in Australia and California or, you know, sustainable living with Unilever, as I mentioned, you know, all of these brands are driving conversations that really impact all stakeholders in society and shape culture as you've seen around gun control, women's empowerment, access to voting, abortion, all of these different issues. You saw all the CEOs turn up and demand that the climate, uh, the Biden administration set more aggressive climate goals. And then finally, beyond this sort of societal level, you've got transcendence, which is really what I call when we've transcended our self interest in service of the collective. And we've restored that harmony between, you know, humanity and nature, that symbiotic relationship, where we're nurturing the natural world so that it can provide the abundance we need to thrive as businesses, and we're showing up completely differently. And you know, as you step through each of these different levels of the spiral, it's the connective tissue between them all that's so important. And the foundational idea that makes that possible is leading with we, we are all using lead with we as a point of departure as a mindset, as a process by which we get it done collaboratively, and as an end state in terms of what success looks like, the well being of the whole, so the parts can thrive. Why? Because I said, as as I said earlier on, that the whole is breaking down, Uh, for the sake of just a few parts and everyone else is suffering. And we're at a point of intolerance now, we're at a point of no return. So there are some of the different steps. But the book lays out a step by step plan for companies of all sizes with right. case studies and examples and research and questions to ask yourself so that you can position yourself as somebody who's going to benefit from the mar- those, these new emerging market forces and actually grow your business by solving for social and environmental challenges because they are all just marketplace opportunities in disguise. And the brands that are addressing that right now are already starting to feel the wind behind their back and growing exponentially. You know, the book really lays this out for you in a detailed way, and and that's why I put it together.
1: You look ahead now, the next five to 10 years, in the most positive, way you can imagine? What's the good that you can see? What can happen if we do lead with we and companies take on this type of a culture?
0: The first thing I'd say is that it's going to be a painful journey, because there will be those forces that resist it, there will be those who fail despite their best intentions, and there will be those who really effectively succeed. So it's not going to be pretty. The second thing I'd say is, being optimistic is a conscious choice, because it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we all say we're doomed, then we're all doomed. And it's a fate accompli. If we all say no, I'm going to do a little bit better, and we're going to do a little bit better, and they're going to do a little bit better, then we'll all do a little bit better. We'll all start to see the results, it'll build more momentum, the market forces will reward it, and it'll take on a life of its own. So I just want to frame my answer in terms of these conscious choices. But what could happen in the future? I think that we will start to scratch the surface of the gifts, that the natural world has been laying out at our feet for for as long as humanity has existed, and bring those to the fore in business. Whether it's decoding the DNA of spider webs and, and making clothing, whether it's <laughs> well, everybody we, we did a show about someone who decoded the DNA of spider webs to make fashion to make
1: fabrics, which is just fascinating.
0: Or whether it's using mushrooms and mycelium to make leather alternatives and so on, right. all these gifts will suddenly be revealed before our eyes, they've always been sitting there, we've been looking, we just haven't seen them. I think secondly, we will start to reconnect with the natural world. And that will be a huge tonic for this fabricated divisiveness that a lot of social platforms have created algorithmically and otherwise. Because I think only when we are put in a in the presence of something larger than ourselves, a natural world, we've all stood on a lookout and gone, oh, my God, or we've all looked at a sunset and gone, wow, we, we become small. And when we're small, we become a subset of something much larger than ourselves. And I think that's getting reconnecting to nature is just one of the most powerful ways to heal ourselves to come back together and allow us to work to solve for these issues. And then I think you're going to see the same priority given to purpose in the business world that was for a long time reserved For profit and sustainability in the near term will be a priority a premium in terms of what drives purchasing decisions. And you're going to see a whole new shakeout of those companies that are going to be the leaders of the future and I deeply believe. The companies that lead the future will be be those with the greatest social impact, because absolutely we've, we've got these issues to solve for and so. I think we'll be closer together, I think we'll be more connected to the natural world. I'll see, I, I see a reimagination and reengineering of business, where we're leading together in new ways. And I think we'll start to unlock something that indigenous people and others since have known for a long time, which is there is a totally different way of coexisting in harmony with this precious gift called the natural world where we regenerate life, we don't degenerate life, we regenerate on an ongoing basis. like our bodies do, like the natural world does, in ways that will just add value to everybody's life, not just dollar value, but real value, happiness, joy, connection, community. And I think this will be the beginning of something absolutely extraordinary for humanity. But we had to reach this point of crisis before we were going to retool. So in some, I sense, believe,
1: I believe humanity will come together. Yeah, I think we, we always have and, and the, the goodness will come out. I just, I hope people see what's going on here and they, they take the time. The book really is sensational and it's, as I said, it's, it's a roadmap. It's a roadmap that if we're not on that trail now, we need to jump on.
0: Yeah, so. no, it is. I, I hope it's a useful guide to everyone. It really gets very specific about what you as an individual can do inside your company in the context of a framework that allows us together to take it to scale. And I deeply believe that's what we need right now. So thank you for the kind words about the book and and for the great collaboration with Goal 17 through all of this. And um, it's interesting to be in the hot seat, you know? Yes. Well, it wasn't so hot. Thanks, Greg. Take care, Simon. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can find more information about Goal 17 and my new book, Lead With We, in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at WeFirstTV. See you next episode, and until then, let's all lead with We.